Welcome to The Kindness Podcast. I'm Nicole Phillips. Chad McGeehy has taught mindfulness to everyone from kindergartners to police officers. He's even worked with Sesame Street to enhance their programming. He uses his knowledge of neuroscience to encourage the practice of kindness and tries to find effective ways to increase resilience, balance, and compassion. Chad, you are a mindfulness teacher. So for anyone who's not familiar with that practice, what does mindfulness mean? Yeah, mindfulness uh, is just paying attention to what's happening right now in our own bodies and minds. Uh, It can be an often misunderstood term, but it's a a quality that all of us know. It's just being present and being aware of what's happening in our own bodies and minds in the present moment. So how does mindfulness relate to kindness? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So at our center, one of the things that we kind of start all of our trainings with is kind of beginning by cultivating the capacity for awareness uh, and awareness sometimes we can think of as, as a part of awareness is mindfulness uh, and so this capacity to be aware of what's happening in our own minds and bodies what really comes to mind is it makes me think of, of Viktor Frankl's quote of between stimulus and response there's a space and in that space is the power to choose our response And in our response lies our growth and freedom. Mm. And so having an ability to know what's happening in our minds or to have awareness of what's happening in our minds so that we're not kind of completely overtaken by it uh, kind of creates a foundation. So, for example, we could be aware that there may be some anxiety present without being completely overtaken or that our mind is racing, um, but there's still some space around that thinking so that we can be aware of other aspects of our experience. And then once we have that space, then there's some ability to choose to uh, respond rather than react. And in that space is where we can choose responses that are kind, choose responses that tend to the well-being of others or tend to the well-being of ourselves. But if if there's no space, if there's no mindfulness, then we tend to get caught up in reactivity and habit and conditioning. Uh, and oftentimes the kind of response isn't given kind of the space or the light of day that it needs to emerge. So this is not necessarily compartmentalizing and saying, I'm going to feel this at this time. It's, it's more of creating a pause to allow your body to have an appropriate response? Yeah, it's definitely not compartmentalizing. It's kind of bringing it right into the, to the present moment. One of the things that I think about, like in terms of, of kindness um, and kind of how kind of mindful practices line up is mindful attention. And when I say mindful attention, really kind of like being with our own experience, what's happening in our own you know, minds and bodies, or really being with the experience of somebody else in a non-judgmental way. This at its, at its root level is kind of the most basic form of kindness. Mm. There's a sense of, of connection. There's a sense of, of compassion. Uh, and it's this felt sense um, of being present that can oftentimes lead to more skillful or appropriate action. I think a lot of times in our culture, we tend to overemphasize doing. And especially when we think about kindness, a lot of times we can think about doing um, acts of kindness. And while that can be really important, it's, I think it's helpful to think about the foundations from which the behaviors are coming. Mm-hmm. So in some sense, just being with our experience, uh, however it is, or being with another's experience, however it is, that's a profound act of, of kindness. And we know what it feels like when somebody's not really with us. They're thinking about something else or doing something else, or when we're not kind of really with the other person that we're with or with our own experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
What does modern neuroscience say about incorporating mindfulness into our daily lives? Yeah, there's a, a lot of evidence uh, that kind of practicing mindfulness uh, can be really beneficial to us. There's a, a really fascinating study uh, that found that uh, people are not paying attention to what they're doing 47% of the time. Wow. Like yeah, driving kind of, or when they're actually engaged in a conversation with someone? Regardless of what they're doing, half the time, yeah, we're not paying attention to what we're doing. <laughs> Which can be both astounding, but also for some of us may sound kind of accurate. Oh, it sounds accurate for me. I get it. But because I think about the times when my kids are talking to me and I'm like, what? what? I'm sorry, were you talking to me? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And then what we're what we're finding is that we can train in this ability to pay attention to be more present and mindfulness is a training to do that. But interestingly, in the in the study that found that half the time our minds are wandering, they asked a series of questions and one of the questions they asked was, "How happy are you?" And what they found was people are much less happy when they're not paying attention to what they're doing or much more happy when they are paying attention to what they're doing. Typically, we think about kind of happiness as something we'll experience when we're doing the activities that we want to be doing that'll make us happy. And this kind of flips that on its head a little bit. And it says the life that's right here, that's right in front of us, if we're paying attention to it, our happiness or our well-being can increase just by the simple act that costs us nothing that's just paying attention to it. So are you saying if there's someone who in their home isn't necessarily happy, let's say there's just strife within the marriage or something's happening in the home that they just it's not their happy place. So maybe they are kind of checking out mentally when they walk through the door. Are you saying that a person who doesn't check out mentally, who stays with it, is going to be happier in that marriage, in that home, even if it's an uncomfortable situation for them? Well, I think there's going to be times, right, where um, by paying attention to what's happening, then we realize maybe we need to make some changes, that not everything is, is going the way we need to do and we need to act skillfully. Mm. Um, and maybe that means changing something that we're doing or, or, you know, talking with somebody and having things be a little bit different. Um, but this first step of kind of really paying attention to it with some awareness, with some non-judgmental space so we're not caught up in our reactivity can be a helpful way to start to begin to see things more clearly so we can respond, you know, more wisely. So you've worked with professional athletes, college athletes, police officers. Why do they all need to learn mindfulness? Yeah, I think what we're learning is that the kind of premise that our that well-being is a skill that uh, typically for most of us, I think, um, you know, we think things like happiness or resilience or forgiveness or kindness are qualities that show up in our lives and we feel lucky when they're around. Um, but most of us don't understand that these are actually qualities of mind that we can train for. So whether we're, you know, teachers or athletes, law enforcement, parents, partners, knowing that we can train the mind to be more present, to be more resilient, to be more kind is something that kind of benefits all of us, regardless of the particular context that we find ourselves in. Do you feel like, is it true in this situation, like an old dog can't learn new tricks? Is there a point at which your research has said that, that the brain stops being able to um, learn well-being? Yeah, that's a great question. And the, the modern neuroscience is very clear that the old thought that, that old dogs can't learn new tricks is, is very wrong. Oh. Um, that what we're, what we're finding is that uh, the human brain was built to change. It's adjusting um, constantly throughout the lifespan. The scientific term for this is neuroplasticity that the brain is always in a, a state of change. It's always evolving based on 
what's happening in our experience of what we're paying attention to. One way we think about this is we're, we're constantly training the brain, wittingly or unwittingly. And the invitation in these practices is to become more aware of what's happening in our minds, in some sense take more responsibility for it, and training the mind uh, for positive qualities like forgiveness, kindness, presence. Okay, so then the million-dollar question is, do you have specific strategies, things that we can leave this podcast today and say, I'm going to try that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. There's a lot of practices that can go about this. Some of them, you know, they kind of change depending on the, you know, age that we're, you know, practicing for. Um, one of them, like if we start to think about children, for example, that can be a really powerful practice um, is, and, and for adults, is using the, the breath to help anchor us. Um, so this can be a simple practice um, like uh, breathing in, holding the breath for a few moments, and then breathing out. This can be a way of kind of becoming aware of our inner experience um, so that we can respond more wisely. Um, another practice um, that we use a lot with kids, we call it dragon breath, if they're experiencing a strong emotion. Mm -hmm. And so we can breathe in deeply, kind of imagine we're breathing into the areas of our body that feel really intense, that feel really energized, and then kind of blowing out some of that energy. Um, for adults, there's, um, or for kids also, we do a practice that's more kind of on the kindness side of things. Um, that is passing a smile around the room. Hmm. And I this, like the sound of that. Isn't that just cute? It's really cute. It's adorable. And it can be really fun to do with adults too. Um, kids tend to, to do it, um, very willingly. And you just, right, like look at the, the person next to you, pass the smile, notice what it's like to experience that smile and then pass it to the person next to you. And it's this kind of being aware of what's happening in the present moment that can be really helpful. When I think about translating that to adults, um, there's a sense of sometimes that we need to set aside a lot of time to do practices like this. But I think we can take advantage of opportunities in our daily life to practice being present and being kind. So, for example, one of the things is, you know, how often time, you know, every day we say, you know, good morning to, you know, people in our home or in our workplaces, or we say thank you to people, whether it's at the store or wherever we're at. But a lot of times this can just be kind of perfunctory. We're just kind of saying it without a lot of meaning. What happens when we start to really drop into like the deeper intention of it and, and really kind of express an authentic sense of good morning, like a wish of this person that may they be well, may they be happy um, as we're going about these daily activities so that we get off of kind of like the automatic pilot of what we're doing um, and get into more authentic responses to what's happening in front of us. I love that. I had never thought about that before. But, you know, when somebody stops and really looks at me and says, I hope you have a good day. And they really they look at you like they mean it. You're like, wow, what just happened? You know, it, yeah. it means something. Hmm. It resonates with us. Like it, it, it wakes something up in us. That yes. We know that we know is there, but just kind of gets gets covered up. Yeah. So I think it can be really fun to start to think of like daily parts of our lives that we can start to infuse this sort of um, kind of purpose or meaning into. Uh, so for example, this morning, I was taking out the garbage at our house. Uh, and to be honest, my first response is, I kind of don't really want to be doing this, but it's a task that has to be done. <laughs> and then I shifted a little bit and started to think, all right, what I'm doing here is actually an act that can benefit my family. This is something that's going to allow our house to be a cleaner, more organized space, 
so that when my wife and son are home later, this is a task that's already done and we can enjoy our time together. So it took a, a regular task and just infused some meaning in it and completely changed my relationship to what I was doing. I had a similar experience this morning because it was garbage day for me, too. And I thought to myself as I was dragging it out there, you know, I'm so grateful that I'm not the one that's got to get on that garbage truck and collect all this. I'm so grateful that someone's going to come and just magically take this away. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So oftentimes I think, and this is where awareness or attention becomes essential, if our minds are so busy thinking about kind of things that are coming later or things that maybe happened in the past, that there are these opportunities right now in the present moment um, to notice simple things that can engender a deeper sense of well-being and um, happiness in our lives. You were part of a really exciting project, a 12-week kindness curriculum for preschoolers that got lots of national attention. What did you learn as a researcher from that? What are the main principles of that? Yeah, so in this curriculum, one of the things that we learned is that um, it's possible to integrate these sorts of kind of kindness or pro-social mindfulness-based um, activities right into the school day, right along with literacy, math, science, that it doesn't have to be a separate part of what's happening, but can be right into the school day. Mm -hmm. And then some of the findings that we had um, that I think were really interesting is uh, students are, were given a task of having one kind of small reward now, or they could wait a little bit and have a larger reward later. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of delay of gratification or regulating impulses. And previous research has, has made it clear that the ability to self-regulate in early childhood better predicts uh, results later in life uh, relating to health, educational attainment, financial stability. And we saw a change in this where students who participated in the kindness curriculum we're able to, uh, on the whole, uh, wait longer to receive the, the reward, uh, which is a really kind of exciting finding for how doing this work with four and five-year-olds can have long-term impacts as they move through their school careers and into their, you know, the rest of their lives. Now, if someone is interested, you guys have made this kindness curriculum available online, right? It is, yeah. Anybody can go to the Center for Healthy Minds website and download the curriculum uh, it was really important to us that we are able to take uh, what we're learning from the leading edge of modern neuroscience and make it publicly available so that these practices can be picked up by parents, teachers, caregivers, uh, and made available in, in whatever environment they may find themselves in. So teachers already have a lot to fit into their day. I know you said that this goes right along with reading and math and things like that, but I would imagine that as a teacher, there's got to be some sort of sense of, oh boy, how do I fit one more thing in? Did you get any pushback like that? Um, interestingly enough, we there was skepticism um, from some teachers at the beginning, but overall what we found, and this uh, is a common experience for teachers in these practices, is that by taking a little bit of time for these practices, we actually gain time later. Um, so let me give you a couple examples. Um, mm -hmm. When we think about younger children, and the sort of things that happen at, at recess or the sort of things that can happen at lunch um, that kind of spill over into the rest of the academic day, these sorts of practices can oftentimes help us to kind of work with what happened in a previous experience, allow it to be in the past, and then be more present for what's happening now so that literacy block or math block isn't interrupted in the same way that it had been possibly in the past by previous ongoings. And then also there's can be in, in some there's some research to find that students report feeling 
um, safer, feeling that there's more kindness, feeling that there's more fairness in a classroom that have gone through the kindness curriculum and other interventions that we've studied. And of course, feeling this way in a classroom is foundational uh, for students to feel safe enough to explore academically. Right, to learn. Yep. Can you give us some specific parts of the kindness curriculum that, that are included in that? Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the practices in the kindness curriculum that I think is really powerful, we call it um, using peace wands. And this is where one student is um, the star listener and one student is speaking from the heart. And so if something happens, some disagreement or misunderstanding in the classroom, then the two students are given an opportunity where one can just speak from the heart and share whatever is true for them. And then the other student has the opportunity to just listen, to just be the star listener. Uh, And then they can switch these roles so that there's a real opportunity to understand, to empathize, to be with the other person's experience rather than kind of talk over each other. And then once this experience happens and they're able to talk with each other, then oftentimes a resolution can be easy to find. Okay, so the the part of my brain that is the mom brain is thinking about yeah. my two boys and how uh, if one of them were able to speak from the heart, they would say something to the effect of, you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel. You took that. It was mine. And I don't like you. And, you know, there would be words like that. So the star listener is probably going to want to stop listening and become, you know, the speaker at some point. So uh, do you need an adult in there to mediate, to say, okay, let's let's think about our words or, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it could be quite as easy as that. Yeah, yeah, I would. Uh, absolutely. And I think this is the, the role of kind of the adults in these situations is to help scaffold for whether it's our own children or children that we're working with in, in classroom contexts. Um, to be the person who's regulated to kind of set up some parameters so that if things do get a little off the walls that the adult can kind of step in and support. Um, And yeah, I think that's really important. I was super excited because I love Sesame Street and when I and I love kindness. And when I found out Sesame Street was going to do kindness, uh, make that their focus, I thought that was fabulous. And so the people at Sesame Street took notice. They asked for some help from from your team. What did they want to know exactly and how were you able to help them? Yeah, I think what what Sesame Street was is really interested in knowing is kind of how do we go about training for these qualities like kindness and empathy and and, and justice. Um, and so I think we shared some of the practices that we were doing, including something that um, showed up in some ways in the Sesame Street season, and that was a kindness garden. Um, and the kindness garden, the way it looks in a classroom is every time um, a student notices an act of kindness, they can take a sticker uh, of uh, a seed or a plant and put it onto this poster of a kindness garden. Um, going to the effect that kind of what the mind ponders frequently becomes habit of mind, uh, or in some sense, we're kind of training the mind to notice kindness so that it becomes more regular for us to have this be present in our experience. And in Sesame Street, there was a kindness, um, a kindness garden that was, was present in the season. I think that's super important for any age to remember that what you think about <laughs> becomes what you're going to think about. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And there's this kind of this, yeah, this insight that we're, we're constantly training the mind. So it becomes really important with what we're doing with our inner experience. Um, there's a, a phrase that often I like that's in some ways we've become more like human doings than human beings. 
Um, and we get so busy kind of acting in the outer world with, you know, busy schedules that we forget about the, all the action that's happening in the inside of our mind and in our bodies. And so part of, of these practices is to start to pay attention with what's happening here in the mind, because then that becomes the foundation uh, from which all behavior is going to follow. Excellent. Chad, before we let you go, do you have a favorite personal kindness story that um, you could share with us? Yeah, this one, what, what comes to mind is um, recently with, with our son, we have a, a two-and-a-half-year-old son, and um, we were talking about giving hugs. Um, and he gives a hug, you know, before he goes to bed and we wake up in the morning. And, uh, and it was kind of starting to become just kind of quick, like you wanted to give the hug and kind of be done. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about when we're hugging somebody, what we're really doing is with our body, we're saying, I love you. I care for you. And our body is expressing that. Mm. And so now when we hug, we kind of remind ourselves of that sometimes and let that be our expression um, without even saying anything. But it's there. It's present. It's a felt sense. That's beautiful. I love that. I'm going to go home and hug somebody right now. <laughs> Chad, thank you so much for the work that you are doing. And thank you so much for talking with us on the Kindness Podcast today. Thank you very much for your interest. That was a conversation with Chad McGeehee from the Center of Healthy Minds at the University of Wisconsin. Thanks for listening to The Kindness Podcast. It's produced by WOUB Public Media and relies heavily on the kindness of engineer Adam Rich and intern Madeline Peck. I'm Nicole Phillips. We hope you'll subscribe to The Kindness Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and find us on social media at Kindness Podcast. If you like the show, we'd love it if you'd spread some kindness in the review section. 